All right, everyone. Welcome back. Here with Doug Pitcanics from LivePeer. This is episode number 21 in one short month of Masari's Unqualified Opinions. Uh, masochistic, uh, perhaps, but uh, we're, we're repping through these pretty nicely and uh, have had a, a terrific slate of guests so far, uh, bringing you a little bit more information about some of the top teams and, and token projects uh, in the crypto economy. Um, Doug uh, and I are going to have a, a wide-ranging conversation. We'll try to keep it as tight as possible, but uh, LivePeer is doing a lot of interesting things, not just as an application, but also with respect to its token economics. So we're going to drill into that, um, talk a little bit about the Web3 versus DeFi uh, theses right now, which is a hot topic that we and, and many others have started to cover as we think about Ethereum scaling and, and how applications can live on, on top of Ethereum or whether they might have to migrate. Um, but uh, first, I uh, want to thank again our sponsors for this podcast. The reason that we now have not one, but two mics um, for, for better sound quality. And you'll notice that I always give my guests the bigger mic um, just, uh, just to even it out a little bit, uh, since we've had previous guests that have literally sat on stacks of chairs uh, to even out the height difference. So <laughs> Doug doesn't quite have uh, the same problem, but uh, thank you to TokenSoft, uh, who's working on digital asset compliance solutions, and TokenTax, uh, who is making it a hell of a lot easier to report your crypto taxes. Recommend you check both of them out, and we'll have more details as we convert these into uh, iTunes and Spotify podcasts where we can insert the, the sponsor snippets. Um, but without further ado, don't want to keep our, our guests waiting while I uh, talk too much about our sponsors or, or give a, an opening soliloquy. Um, Doug, why don't we start super basic? Um, your path to live peer is really interesting because you've worked on this and market before. Um, so talk a little bit about video transcoding and um, why this has to be decentralized, you know, kind of where, where live peer fits into this market. Sure thing. First of all, thanks for having me on the uh, show here. 21 episodes in a month. It's prolific output. Um, glad to be part of it. Uh, cool. So starting at the, the basics of live peer, for those who don't know, LivePeer is building a video infrastructure platform. This is uh, for developers and applications and media companies that want to do video and live video well at scale. It's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to operate infrastructure, to scale to many streams of video at once. So, you know, people building things that look like YouTube or Periscope or Twitch um, or, you know, media companies broadcasting big events could use LivePeer's infrastructure to power it. And, um, you know, my experience uh, is as a software engineer building first data infrastructure platforms for local data, data about points of interest, processing lots of streaming um, information in real time, and then uh, worked on a kind of consumer mobile startup where we had a lot of video specific features in our applications and we kind of learned the experience of building on the kind of close proprietary infrastructure providers. Uh, challenges both in terms of you know building on them but also in terms of the costs in operating on them mm -hmm. and so uh, i'll fast forward past a lot of information but what led my co-founder eric and i to the live peer opportunity was that uh, we saw the rise of ethereum and we saw the rise of this idea of web3 mm -hmm. and the notion that uh, you could decentralize um, kind of resource allocation in terms of bandwidth in terms of storage in terms of compute you could 
um, kind of deliver the next version of the internet the way it was meant to be, where you could put economics inside of open source software, inside of protocols, inside of networks, such that the people contributing the value to the networks uh, were the ones who would kind of realize that gain as opposed to everything existing in these closed walled gardens and you know the whole Web3 story is a, a separate thing. But we saw, you know, we had a lot of experience building infrastructure, building around video, and we saw kind of the tremendous advantage and kind of disruptive potential of creating a new type of video infrastructure that could run on a distributed global network where anyone with idle compute and idle bandwidth could add it to this network and could encode and distribute video. Mm -hmm. uh, we believed in the opportunity. We spent six months researching it. We convinced ourselves that you could design a protocol that could secure this and could create the right incentives for people to bring it online. And you know, we launched you know, the, first the proof of concept and eventually the early alpha production version of LivePeer, um, which came online 10 months ago and it's usable for uh, kind of video transcoding and broadcasting today. Yeah. So I've, I've called these in the past uh, skin in the game tokens, you know, people call them digital resource tokens, work tokens, a lot of different terms get thrown around. Um, but structurally, the LivePeer token is similar to what you would expect for Filecoin for file storage or Gollum for compute. Um, is that the right spectrum of assets to, to think about LivePeer and, and its value prop? I think uh, in this neighborhood of allocating resources, mm -hmm. you can think of it as pretty similar. I think the token mechanics um, look a little different. So first of all, both of the tokens you just mentioned, my belief is that you're supposed to acquire them and pay them mm -hmm. into the network. So you, you pay Filecoin in order to store files on the Filecoin network. Um, that's actually not the case in the live peer ecosystem. In the live peer ecosystem, you get ETH and you pay it in order to transcode video on live mm -hmm. peer. And eventually that should be a stable coin. So it could just mm -hmm. be, you pay US dollars to transcode video on live peer. And the live, peers to live peer token's purpose uh, is much similar to something you referenced, a work token concept mm -hmm. that people talk about, where you actually acquire this token and you stake it on the network if you want the ability to do and secure work on this network and earn the ETH or the US dollars that are flowing into the network. But the work is a combination of human capital and the computation and bandwidth that's required to do the transcoding, right? So, so you're still talking about contributing a scarce computing resource. It's not just an individual doing the work. It's, it's a bit Correct. of a combination. Correct. So it's, uh, think of the token as you, you put down the security deposit in the form of the token, mm -hmm. and then you now have the right to contribute this computing resource to the network to run a node that will encode video and, and serve it out. Uh, or if you don't happen to have infrastructure and you don't want to run infrastructure, Blackbird Protocol has this concept of delegation. You know, you're just a normal MetaMask using token holder. You can... Uh, delegate your, your token towards someone else who is running infrastructure and they'll mm -hmm. run it on your behalf and share in the fees and inflationary token they collect. So um, it, it, it certainly is, you've built a groundswell uh, uh, of support and, and a pretty solid community for an early stage product. So congratulations on that. Um, the, the, the flip side to that is, you know, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now about the timing of Web3, right? Do people care? 
I, live peer will get used at industry conferences and events, right? You'll see people uh, set up the, the video feed and, and, and be sure to support it because it's an experiment and it's also you know, potentially an interesting piece of Web3 infrastructure. But are we even close to that, right? In, in, my, in my mind, um, ICOs and uh, collateralized debt positions might be the only two non-Bitcoin, non-payment applications that have really gotten legs. Um, so where do you see Web3 and its development and, and, and what needs to happen for this to really be viable? Uh, I think we're a long way to go before the full promise of Web3 is realized, right? We talked about things like Filecoin for file storage. You know, we haven't seen that launch yet. There's other file storage networks. Um, certainly at the UI, UX layer, there's a lot of work to do before you have kind of this new decentralized internet. But our approach on LivePeer is, hey, this infrastructure is meant to be used and create dramatic kind of price disruption mm -hmm. for existing scaled video applications in the Web 2 world. Um, I believe that in Web 3 we'll see new amazing applications that you and I couldn't dream of that a product visionary comes along and says, mm -hmm. okay, I have you know, decentralization, I have tokens, I have economics, how can I create this incredible video experience? But you know, LiveCare is designed today to be pluggable into existing um, kind of video infrastructure stacks and deliver huge cost savings. And there's a couple of reasons you know, why we believe we can deliver um, huge cost savings and increase reliability. Um, and it has to do with kind of, we don't need to get into the nuance and nitty gritty of the existing dynamics of this. Well, can, can, we, can, well, can, we, can we talk about, like, just let's do a case study, yeah. right? Uh, to make it a little bit more tangible. So you yeah. say cost savings. I think a lot of um, digital resource tokens or work tokens, that is the pitch for how you can get over this adoption hurdle. Um, walk us through like uh, an apples to apples example, right? You guys are gonna take on some centralized alternative. Yeah, so um, cloud providers who power video infrastructure, mm -hmm. they would charge uh, the user $3 per hour per stream mm -hmm. for live video. So if your application you know, is like Periscope or Musical.ly or TikTok, you have hundreds of thousands of concurrent streams, that's you know, $3 per stream while that's going on per hour. So really expensive, thousands of dollars an hour. It's prohibitive for startups, right? Now on the live peer network, uh, we have this software that can harness idle video encoding power in GPU cryptocurrency miners. Mm -hmm. So people mining Ethereum, Zcash, Grin, etc. They're spinning the CUDA cores on those chips 100%, hashing cryptocurrency. But there's these two video encoding chips, the NBank and the NVDEX, sitting there that are idle. They're doing nothing. They can't hash crypto. Mm -hmm. And LivePeer allows them to put that capacity on the network without disrupting their crypto mining. And their cost to doing that in electricity and bandwidth is about 74 cents per day. Mm -hmm. They can encode two HD videos you know, concurrently on that. So they can add it to this marketplace for 74 cents a day. But the cloud providers who encode two HD videos for 24 hours are charging $144. And so there's a huge gap between 74 cents and $144 for them to you know, make a little margin, make a little extra revenue, but drive down costs tremendously for the end user. So you guys are, are uh, if I'm hearing you right, you're a beneficiary of the existing proof of work mining apparatus for GPU mining. 
Yeah, just, just by happenstance. Just by happenstance, and this is you know an amazing. I, 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 never, I didn't realize that. Yeah, this is an amazing. That, that's that's, that's, that's a hell of a stroke of good fortune. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it may not be available forever, and mm-hmm. maybe you know it may change the way that these GPUs are constructed. But there's also the belief that kind of idle compute capacity will always be available. Uh, cheaper than dedicated capacity where you're provisioning mm-hmm. machines to handle your peak traffic when you have a thousand streams, but they sit idle when you're only at 200 streams. Mm-hmm. And that's always going to be more expensive to build, deploy, and operate than this open marketplace that lets anyone put idle capacity on the network. If there's a protocol that can you know, incentivize this to exist and be standing by to secure it and, and trust that these anonymous nodes in the network are doing the work correctly and honestly. Mm-hmm. And the software is to be good enough to create reliable performance and mm-hmm. whatnot. And those are all the challenges that we've been tackling for two years of life here, and we'll keep it early on. So, so that, that makes the unit economics really compelling uh, for, for some of the early adopters. Um, what, so the, the typical margins on that seem like they're, uh, they're solid. In terms of the raw amount of work that's going into the alpha um, protocol right now, um, can you quantify that? I know you guys have been taking steps to track this much more actively and, and working with a number of data vendors to do so. Um, what's the total throughput to the system right now? Like usage on the network. You, on, on network usage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we launched an alpha. All these kind of great cost benefits that we just talked about you know, still need some software engineering to be fully unlocked, and there's a high cost of using the Ethereum blockchain to secure it. So what we've seen in the months we've been online is hundreds of events, conferences, meetups, stream like live streams uh, run through the network, and that's mm-hmm. great for testing the software, but that's not scaled usage. That's not hundreds or thousands of streams concurrently, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to address kind of the cost issues of using Ethereum, the scalability, we knew we'd have this iteration to do, but we packaged up uh, kind of five main updates to the protocol. We called it Streamflow. We're running an internal version of this already that's handling a couple hundred concurrent streams with high reliability. A couple of months of work to do to get it to mainnet, um, but we're kind of we're at that point where we're ready to start working with scaled kind of users of this. So, still very early but have good promising results mm-hmm. and kind of this is the year where we you know, go to market and, and create the real success stories. On that. How, how do you think about users versus investors? Because the so many teams, uh, you guys have been very careful about this, I think a number of other teams, especially more recently that are based in the US, are careful to not come across like a security by any means um, necessary. Uh, in the eyes of the SEC. And, and you can certainly make the argument that a useful um, protocol that is actually uh, doing the work it's, it's set out to do and, and, and transcoding video and using this token as a, um, uh, as a critical piece of, of that mechanism, um, you should steer away from that. And yet, there are now crypto funds that have taken a meaningful interest in um, doing work on you know live peer as part of this generalized mining theme that, that some have spoken about. How do you think about investors as stakeholders um, in light of the fact that you're a New York-based company? This is like the most hostile environment to have a venture fund speculating on a token and, and still keep you guys in the clear from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah, so stakeholders is an interesting uh, term, I think, because yeah, I think everyone who's chosen to participate in this ecosystem really as, you know, kind of 
participating stakeholders, if you will. And mm -hmm. we've designed the protocol and the incentives such that there's really, you're actually penalized for just acquiring this token and holding it as an investment. You only are actually receiving any benefit from that by actually participating and doing work in the network. Mm -hmm. And that's due to the, the economic design and the inflation that the uh, protocol has built in. Uh, we can dig in if interesting, but the short version is um, the protocol makes new tokens every day. Mm -hmm. And it only goes to those who are doing work on the network. Mm -hmm. and in order to do the work, you need the token to place as a security deposit to secure the work that you're doing. Um, and basically... But you also need the bandwidth and compute. Uh, if you're going to run the infrastructure, mm -hmm. if you just want to... You can do a different form of work, which is essentially quality assurance and routing work towards mm -hmm. the nodes with the right compute by just delegating. Uh, and are funds, funds are doing, doing both, both, or are yeah, they doing more of the latter? Okay. Yeah, yeah, funds are funds are doing both. I mean, I don't know individually how everyone decides mm -hmm. what their split is. The easiest thing to do is just to delegate, but you're kind of putting your, your trust in someone else's hands, and you can lose this token if uh, they act maliciously. And so, again, everyone is kind of participating in creating, making this network useful, whether you're running something, helping to build something, um, QAing and ensuring it, and anyone who's just buying this token and sitting on it doing nothing, thinking it's an investment, is dramatically getting diluted away. Like their ownership in the network is gonna be less than you know, half of what it is today, a number of months from now, if they're not actually participating. And so, Again, you know, the, the whole system is that, like this token's purpose is to coordinate, to bootstrap and incentivize mm -hmm. everyone to make sure this network is as you know, cheap, effective, reliable, and useful as possible. Well, and, and the counter to that is it might be one of the most punitive token inflation models for non-participants, right. which makes it seem that live peers tokens maybe um, have to be one of the early test cases for exchanges. To, to actually stake on behalf of their uh, their their users, users because otherwise their users are, are going to get diluted down because that is is you know not going to accrue and keep pace with the otherwise baked in inflation. Yeah, I think this like staking as a service concept that's tied mm -hmm. to the custody solutions or the exchange solutions is like definitely a trend we're going to see happening in this year. And so, so right, right now, I think LivePure is just on Poloniex. Um, has that, that has it also been listed on Binance in terms of the major exchanges? Um, not to my knowledge. Our team has done literally zero mm -hmm. work with any exchange, including the ones that went ahead and listed it on their own. We've put mm -hmm. you know zero effort into secondary markets. Um, it's on some decentralized exchanges, I think. But again, the network is an alpha. We've never done any like public sale or marketed this as an investment. Mm -hmm. It's very early. It's about like participating and bootstrapping the network. And so but just like any other investor, investor circle, circle comes to you guys and says, how the hell do we figure out the staking? You're going to work with them, right? Just, just like, like any other stakeholder. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about like the technical post-list of the project, yeah. the, the, you know, the, how the token is designed itself. Um, but what, you know, I get thousands of emails every day from, mm -hmm. hey, would you like to pay us a fee to list on this exchange? And that's a straight <laughs> ignore to the trash. Or, yeah. or you know, even the you know, play personal ones, I'll just respond saying we're not working with exchange. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we need this network to be highly useful um, and have a lot of kind of successful usage and case studies mm -hmm. um, before we would ever 
you know, talk about this as uh, kind of investments or so, so let's talk a little bit more about the uh, inflationary aspect, because I think right now, you guys, uh, if I remember uh, reading correctly on, on uh, Scout, it was 50% target bonding, and you're at about 30% right now, which is pretty good, I think, for staking tokens. I don't know if anyone else has, has hit that number yet. Um, I haven't checked recently for, for some of the others, like Tezos and, 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 um, and EOS, but the, my, my general understanding is they've struggled with quorum and participation and, and just general staking. Um, is that the highest that you've seen? How do you benchmark your own staking? And then um, how do you think about like long-term bonding rates and, and setting that target? Because the other 50 or 70% of people that are not staking are losing so much so quickly. Right. So it's almost a question of what are the defaults. Right. Uh, good question. So I actually can't tell you if that's the highest or not the highest. I suspect some other networks may have a higher staking rate, but I believe that the distribution mechanics that they used actually, you know, a lot of token ended up in the hands of people who were, you know, immediately uh, thinking about staking it, whereas we did this very wide Merkle mine public uh, distribution mechanism. And it's, it's also, also passive proof of stake versus actually putting in work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but interesting question about how we think about the target. So what we did with live here is instead of setting a known issuance rate with known inflation, where I can tell you exactly how many tokens there's going to be two years or three years or four years from now, we said, well, we don't think that's the right approach. What we said is we're going to set a known participation rate. Mm -hmm. And we said we want 50% of the tokens staked and participating at any one time. And what will happen is every day that uh, there is less than 50% participation, the inflation rate will rise a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and every day that we've exceeded 50% participation, it will decrease a little bit. And the thesis is that the network will arrive at some equilibrium inflation rate. Maybe it's 7%, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 40%. Uh, where, you know, about 50% of the network stays on and participating, and the other 50% um, decide to, you know, withdraw and choose liquidity over this mm -hmm. kind of lockup with participation. And so far, it's worked out really nicely because, as you said, the inflation rate has risen by design, and that's incentivized two things to happen. One, people who have this token and discover this project or whatever realize that they should stake. And they mm -hmm. come online and they become a participant in this network. And then the second thing is, it's, you know, all the inflation is staked amongst the people who have already staked, and it's increasing their ownership at the expense of the people who aren't staking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look over, like, the first three years of the project, I believe a large percentage will go to people who are actively participating. And that's what you want. You want the people who spent the first three years, you know, running the infrastructure, queuing the network, helping to build the software, et cetera, to be kind of the big stakeholders in this this network. And, you know, we've had have over a thousand people staking, a nice community, it's growing every day. Um, and it's, you know, so far the thesis is being confirmed. And I think, you know, what we've seen since we've launched in, you know, 10 months ago is that on the supply side of the network, the superpower of being able to bootstrap these crypto networks through crypto economics, the double-edged sword of speculation um, that are designed has worked. People are doing what we hoped they would do, and, and I think we feel good about the network on that side. 
now you know, it's time to, to tackle the demand side and deliver real value to real users of these networks. So what does that look like? What, what success? I mean, the, the core KPI is, I mean, is it hours of transcoded video? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, it's basically... Uh, Did I nail it? Yeah, you nailed okay. it. It's how many hours, how many concurrent streams mm-hmm. of video are flowing through this network, how much work is being done. Essentially, the... And where are you at the alpha right now? Um, it's like just said, hundreds, right? yeah, hundreds of streams, but intermittent, non-scaled. Usage, though, still, I think, successfully, you know, having hundreds of streams that can use this network mm-hmm. um, in an open sense, anyone can test it. Um, yeah. And the irony, by the way, is not lost on me that our, our sound engineer came in and, and mentioned we were having connectivity issues, I think due to the WeWork Wi-Fi. Um, but but I, I want to sure. say it was probably karmic that uh, this is the first time we've had connectivity issues. Um, and, and it's probably Doug fiddling with the, the Wi-Fi because we're not using live peer yet. Uh, but we, we, we certainly will be uh, adding, adding those capabilities in the coming you months. You should see me try and do live demos of live streaming. Is like the riskiest possible oh, thing you could ever try and do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's always, always fun when that works, but you run into issues all the time. Um, well, uh, on the next on the roadmap, I mean, you're, you're focused on utility. How can other people get involved? What is the, um, what's the, the call to action and kind of the next step as you build not only the team, but the community? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a couple different stakeholders and products in the ecosystem because first of all, you have the supply side, which is your, your token-oriented crypto network participant, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the step there is I really would just invite you to start staking and participating in the network. Our distribution mechanism gave a little bit of live peer token to all ETH holders as of March last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of you listening may even have some live peer token. And just uh, you can go to explorer.livepeer.org, stake it on a node, and you'll start seeing inflation flow your way every day. And that's a great way to learn about it. Join our chat room on Discord, our forum, ask questions. Um, and there's community grants program with requests for you know, community contributions, content, translation, um, building things around that. So that's great. And then you look at product number two as actually nothing at all to do with crypto. This is for video developers mm-hmm. and uh, fitting into the existing video ecosystems and developer stacks. And there's probably not a lot of you listening right now who happen to be full-time video infrastructure engineers, mm-hmm. but um, that's the end user of live peer and you know we go to industry events conferences meetups uh and our product efforts are all focused around well these users shouldn't have to know anything about crypto or blockchain they should be able to leverage this network superpower directly and that's actually um kind of the charter of the role of the you know we have a live peer the company which is just how can we reduce friction how can we make this network really easy to use um, and open source developers, contributors, people in the video industry have a kind of opportunity to get in, into the project on that side. Awesome. Yep. Well, Doug, thank you so much for swinging by. Yes. And good luck this me. year. For those of you who had uh, connectivity issues, maybe it was everybody that was watching live on the Periscope. I don't know. We're going to find out. This has been recorded successfully, uh, and we're going to be putting it onto iTunes, Spotify, and a number of other channels uh, later today or first thing tomorrow. So, uh, we will edit out any disruptions. We'll get this in your hands. And this is probably a good forcing function to make sure that uh, everybody subscribes to the new Masari Unqualified Opinions podcast. Thanks so much. Yep. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Ryan.